Um, but I think we'll get started. And then if Eric and Whitney join us, this will probably be pretty easy to catch up on. So. Yeah, do you want to grab it? Someone want to pray for us? Yeah, I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this day and for this chance to gather together, um, even if it's virtually, to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and to learn more about what that means in our lives. We thank you for your involvement in our lives and how you uh, engage us every day. We thank you for the, the gift of your presence, and may our eyes be open more to your spirit's involvement in our life. Please yeah. cut this time in our conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> well, we are, again, we're going to look at the fruit of the spirit here. And if somebody is willing um, to read that first, really the two verses that we'll look at the whole evening, That'd be awesome. <clears throat> sure, I can. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Perfect. Thank you. So three kind of big picture things I want us to talk about, make sure we understand, and then we're going to just go through the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and kind of dialogue in each one, what it looks like, who we've seen resemble that, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But first, big picture thing that it's helpful for us to understand is virtue and vice lists. And we, if this is stuff you already know, I apologize to bring it back up, but Greco-Roman world, especially the way of the philosophers was to have these lists. So we see them, especially in Paul's writing, <clears throat> excuse me, right before this was a list of vices, right? And um, he lists off a bunch of vices that had to deal particularly with the church in Galatia. And then here, he, it's called the fruit of the spirit, but it's traditionally a, a virtue list. And unlike culture, uh, Paul is talking about a transformation from an external power. So usually in our culture or in the Greco-Roman world, you have a virtue list, but you try to become that on your own. <clears throat> and he's saying this is the fruit of the spirit at work within us. Um, order in a virtue or vice list does matter traditionally in Greco-Roman world. So whatever is listed first is of most importance to the writer. Um, and so like here, love is listed first. That would be seen. Now it isn't like descending order, but it is whatever the first thing or things are, are specifically more important. And the list would not have been understood as comprehensive. Uh, we kind of, when we talk of the fruit of spirit, we list these things and then we stop. Um, the church in Galatia, when they heard this and, uh, and eventually read it, they wouldn't have seen this as the only, uh, like a closed list. They would have seen this as like the beginning of descriptors. And finally, um, I think this makes sense, but this would be seen as comparison to what the flesh produces within us. 
So the flesh produces the vices, the, the spirit produces this fruit of the spirit. And um, kind of the language of Easter week, Jennifer, I know that you couldn't pay attention, no, no problems there, but flesh is what would be like the intruders, like sin, suffering, death, violence, hate. Those things are intruded with, uh, with sin and would produce like our vice list. And then opposite would be this, this fruit one. Okay. Does that all kind of make sense on virtue vice stuff? All right. I didn't know that about the um, hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of interesting. Yeah. And actually, it made me feel, um, no, it made ahead. me feel good about my self-control since it was down later. On the down. Yeah. Since it's last. <laughs> gotcha. I, I feel you there, Jennifer. As I eat a Sour Patch Kid. <laughs> Um, another really important thing, I think, is that this is one fruit. So I think most of us, if we grew up around church, we, we said fruits of the spirit, like, like a fruit salad. Um, and the reason I think that's really important is the Holy Spirit only produces one thing. Not many where we could be maybe allergic to some of it. Um, and if it's many fruits, then we could say like self-control. I'm not good at that. The spirit's just not producing that fruit in me. And that's just not true. It would be more like um, fruit that's ripening and what traits emerge within that fruit as it becomes mature. But we do have different wiring. And so the Holy Spirit's going to produce different things out of our story and out of our wiring. So if you think a little bit of like apples, like all these different kinds of apples have different levels of tartness and crispness and juiciness and all of this kind of thing. Those are all descriptors of the apple. It's one fruit with these different descriptors. And then um, each, each personality kind of produces a different thing much like the soil, sunlight, seed, water impact actual fruit. Um, pretty simple, but I think it matters. Yeah. I've also heard though, that I also heard, last time I heard a teaching on the fruit of the spirit, I've heard that, that it was like you said, it was singular, but that everything after love was a manifestation of what love looks like. And I'd mm. never heard that. So that the fruit of the spirit was love and joy was a component of love and peace and patience and so forth and so on. And I'd never heard that as well. So I thought that was interesting that. Yeah. I, I've never, I mean, I'd have to think of, like I could see somewhat. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear that to hear how. <laughs> I have to go back and look. I know I know where I heard it from and who I heard it from. So sure. Um, <clears throat> well, that's good. So then we have the Holy Spirit's work in this. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. It's not us efforting. Um, the active role in this is God, and that really matters because I think sometimes we see a list like this, we think we should evaluate accordingly. 
and then be like, I need to be more joyful and then try to grunt our way towards joy. And that's, that's not what this is. The Holy Spirit produces it. Our, our role, our work is to be oriented towards God. So how, how is it that we're positioning ourselves to be able to, to produce this fruit, to start to resemble this fruit? Uh, how surrendered are we to the Holy Spirit? And when opportunities arise, are we remaining oriented to, towards God or are we not? And if there's an area that we struggle with or that fruit is less mature in us, um, that, that's exactly how I would say it. it's just less mature. So when the opportunity to kind of stay in God's presence comes with patience or kindness or another opportunity, our goal, again, isn't to grunt and be that, but to be positioned in a place where God can produce that. That makes some sense. So it is healthy to when we're going through this to be like, oh, I think I'm less mature in this one and I'm more mature in this. That's healthy. That's fine. But then what we do with that is in prayer, we bring that to God. God, I feel as if I don't resemble your patience. And then ask God to be the active one in that. <clears throat> so we're going to look at these descriptors and begin to see how uh, it's experienced and how we're sensitive to different parts. And then a really help, helpful thing to do when we're in community with each other is to catch one another. How, how is it we catch one another reflecting God's spirit on this? Um, and how do we even widen our understanding of how these things are shown? Because probably we have a preferred way that people show love or joy or peace or patience, kindness. And other, other ways are equally valid, but less our favorite. Well, it kind of goes in a sense to the concept of the five love languages mm -hmm. that what one person might see as a way of showing love, another person wouldn't recognize as that because it's not something that they necessarily would do if that makes any sense yeah yeah that does so any opening comments you all <laughs> have on that one i feel very released by the fact that this is the holy spirit's work i really do because i feel like if I keep working towards being more attuned with where the Holy Spirit is and where the Holy Spirit wants me, then some of these things presumably would start to show up more regularly without as much effort. Whereas yeah, it, I've always thought that the fruit of the Spirit was something that I had to strive for individually. Sure. I mean, it's a great way for us to make each other feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. and for churches to keep people coming to the church so you need a nine week let me make you feel bad and strive to be better at this but that's that's not what Paul's saying here um, and I'm glad that's re refreshing or relieving it, it should be 
any other thoughts on just uh, before we get into it? Well, sometimes I feel like I feel being nudged in certain ways, like for self-control, like Jennifer, don't say that before I say it. Like your spirit saying, hey, don't say that. Like today at the meeting when I made cracks at Wayne being old, I could feel it before I said it. I felt that something inside saying, don't say that, Jennifer. And I, so I feel like the spirit kind of correcting me. I just need to slow down to. I think that's good. And I think that's where we're talking about. Like we want to orient to God. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is actively nudging you. And yeah. you need to be sensitive to the nudging. It's like I felt it and then I just went. It was like, Jennifer, you felt like you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, it was rather yeah. funny, though, to me. I, did, I, <laughs> I wish I had been there. Because as far as I'm concerned, you were just stating a fact. <laughs> yes, but it was at Wayne's expense. and He doesn't care. I know, but it was so funny. But yeah, still, still, I felt something inside of me saying, Jennifer, don't say that. It just happened really quickly, like lightning. So I'm trying to be more in tune. And as I pray and meditate more, I slow down and hear more and don't react as quickly. That's good. Well, let's, I mean, let's start looking at the list. Does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our first one is, is love. Um, does anyone have their Bible with them? Or on their phone. Yeah, I got my. With, I can go get a Bible, but I have my phone and my iPad. Uh, yeah, phone's fine. Um, if someone wants to read First John three one, we talked about it all spring last year. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Thank you. So that's it. Like we, we are loved. We are children of God. We're, you know, we spent that whole time in the idea that we are beloved and it's out of our learning that we're loved. It's out of our receiving of love that we give that back. Right. It's not to be loved. And I think this is even for adults. I'm, I'm seeing that it's, it's still hard for us to not love someone else to receive love, like to not do this conditional or trading kind of love. Mm -hmm. and, and the love that Paul is really talking about here is a love that comes out of the fact that we are already loved. But it's a little weird because we are already loved by God and then we turn around and love people who we may not receive love from. And, and there is a bit of emotion with that, right? Yes. So there's four Greek words for love. Um, you know, we know this, we know like brotherly love, the more romantic love, familial love. And then this is agape, which is the other centered self-giving uh, love in action. It's not just this internal disposition where I love you, but you would never know. It never leaks out of me. It, it's the love that should leak into our action. Uh, 
love is shown different from different personalities, like the love languages, like you were saying, Wendy. And the other thing that we need to be attentive to is we love out of the resources that we have. And I don't think our churches are always good at realizing this. So that's like out of our ability, out of our knowledge, out of our time, out, out of out of what we have is what we love. And some people, they're not less loving. They have less resource to love. You know what I mean? Like it does come out in our action, but, but sometimes we'll think someone is just grandiose in their love and they might be, but the other person might be as well. It's just that they are extended spread thin and doing the best that they can with that. It doesn't mean they're necessarily less loving. Okay, so let's talk about this. And it's listed first, that matters. Yeah. So, love, what, what do you think of with that word? In this context, I think about agape love. I think about the love that, because I mean, we did a study a long time ago, um, a couple study that was called the way of agape. And it was about agape love, particularly in relationships and particularly in situations where you don't necessarily feel like you have a capacity to love at any given time, that God will use you as a vessel and pour his love through you to others, but you're not actively doing the loving. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think of when I think of this kind of love is it's not like, again, it's not reliant on me. It's reliant on God. And I become his vessel of showing love to others. That's what I think. No, I think it's good. I think of that first Corinthians 13. That's always what pops in my head. Mm -hmm. And that's a good, uh, almost virtue list of what love is, right? Um, yeah. I unfortunately think of how the English language doesn't sufficiently talk about love because it's gets so it's so easily thrown around. Yes. Like you mentioned that though, there's the different types of love. There's agape, and then there's all the the others and that culture had a, from my limited knowledge, it feels like they had a better grasp of how to distinguish different types of love than we do because love is a catch-all word for us that can mean something as, as insignificant as I love my bike over there to right. I love God with all my heart. And we use the same word, even though it's completely different sentiment. Yeah. So one of the things I wonder what we would be like if we valued every personality's love the same. Because you know, some personal they're not necessarily loving, they're just they're just naturally seem more like that. It's not like the fruit of the spirit is in them, it's just like, oh, you're just a little easier. And then someone else might 
be a little more prickly, but the fruit of the spirit still comes through and still produces love. And I, I really hope as the church, we can become a place that like recognizes and all of that counts, not just the people who seem more socially acceptably loving. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know there's some people who, like, hear this and feel like they're already, like, six blocks behind just by wiring or just by story. And that can't be true. That's not how God works. Unfortunately, it's how we often work. But it's not how God works. So are there any spots in your life where you feel like you have learned or recognized this type of love, the love that the Holy Spirit produces? I'm sorry, I missed the question. Is there anywhere in your life where you feel like um, you've seen in someone else or you've seen in yourself that this change has happened where you're more loving by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this part, descriptor of the fruit is being produced. I think yes. Like people that were unkind or maybe have done unkind things, I don't, I can still be kind to them. And maybe that's not love, but Seeing at school this week, I know there were people that were very unkind to me and colleagues in situations, and I could still see them and wish them a good day and be, oh, Jennifer would have been very mean. Like, there would have been some kind of get back scheme. Sure. But, yeah, but I just didn't want them to have a bad day, even though they were very unkind. So I think that must be in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's good for us to recognize when like God's producing something in us, not to get proud about it or anything, but like to, Oh yeah. So I want to do this more because I see that I am changing. I see that this isn't theory, that this is really actually happening. Well, and I think too, that, There have definitely been times when I've reached out, like kind of what you said, Jennifer, when God has made it very clear that I'm supposed to reach out to somebody who hasn't been very nice to me. And if I am obedient to that calling from the Holy Spirit to um, step outside where I want to be, where my fleshly self wants to be, then usually I'm the one that benefits the most from that situation, I think, um, overall. But not expecting that that benefit would be you. Yeah, I'm not, ex- that's not why, I, that's not the why reason to do it. it, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what it I do. It does. <laughs> All I could think of when you were talking about different people and some people not being as lovable as others was, um, oh shoot, her head, her name just went out of my head. 
the gal from one church in the old building who rode in in her scooter all the time. Alice? Alice. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about the definition of prickly. But, <laughs> but, you know, if you believe that, then you believe that God uses her as a vessel for love. Well, and so I had an interesting situation with Miss Al. She was not a fan of me at all. Right, I remember no that. Um, and uh, <laughs> she, um, but one time she caught me walking down the, the street down fourth with Anna. And she was like, oh, this is your daughter. I'm like, yeah, this is my daughter. And something else happened. And, um, and then Anna wasn't at church the next Sunday because she was sick. And then probably the next four times I saw Miss Alice, which was probably between Monday and Wednesday, she, I remember one, at least one of the times she started to grumble and then she stopped herself and said, how's your daughter? And I was like, she's, she's starting to do better. Thank you. Well, good. And then she grumbled, but there was that moment of like, Oh, like Miss Alice is, she gets to grow too. Right. Like, I, I don't get to just freeze her as a caricature any more than she gets to do that to me. So, yeah, it was a good little moment. And then she went back to not liking me, but that's okay. Yeah, but she's, but I think though that what you're saying is exactly the illustration that, um, that she was able to be that vessel in that moment. Yeah. I guess maybe. And you all know, like, if you want to show me that you care about me, care about Anna, care about like, right. you know, care care about my crew, and then I'm good. Um, and yeah, it was it was sort of sweet. I'll be right back. I got someone at the door. Okay. Hope it's someone expected, not someone creepy. <laughs> but we'll love them anyway. Good God, Jennifer. I mean, I see the love just pouring out of you. <laughs> that was the self-control. But I said it in a very gentle voice. The next descriptor <laughs> is suspicion. No. And, and did you see how I, I had joy when I said it, though? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We noticed that, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's look at look at joy. Uh, this fall, that was the we, intro to joy. Yeah, that was good. We talked a lot about joy, uh, particularly as a living as God's beloved, aware that God is with us. We can live in joy, and um, joy is not to be a fragile thing. It's similar to happiness, but happiness is fragile because of circumstances, right? Right. Um, Joy isn't like the opposite or anything, but, but joy is not fragile. Um, Karl Barth said this great phrase, uh, joy in the book of Philippians, where we get rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He said the joy in Philippians is a defiant nevertheless. Like whatever my circumstance is, uh, my joy will be a nevertheless to that circumstance. It's really joy is a revolt against death and decay and the effect of sin. Um, 
But unfortunately, we kind of only recognize joy in certain wirings again. Um, so let's spend a couple minutes. Just what does joy look like in different personalities? What is joy in a, of an extrovert or an introvert? Um, if you know Enneagram stuff, joy looks different in a seven than it does a six or four. So what is... Or an eight. Or, yeah, I mean... Like we kind of just give joy to sevens, right? And, and that's not their job to carry all that. Um, it's, it's for all of us, but I, Nikki's a seven. I'm never as happy as she is 60% of her time. Like I, I never get there and she just lives there. So it's unfair for me to think that's my evaluative mark. So what is joy in me? What does it look like in my wiring? that makes some sense? Yeah, because I think joy, like you said, it means different things to different people. And I always go back to that joy in everything, you know, that it's not about my circumstances. It's not about, joy to me is not as much an emotion as it is a, a state of being. Yeah. So this, this was, uh, joy was something that I talked about with my spiritual director, friend of Matt's, because I don't, I don't like the first two fruit of the spirit. <laughs> They're only the most important. Don't worry. I know. Yeah. Cause they, cause they don't, they don't, I don't feel like they're very evident in my life. Um, so one of the things we talked about, especially about joy that we came up with is that joy is a deep thing that says there is nothing you can do that will take you from God, God's love and God's eternity. And that joy can be seen as something that is secure. Mm-hmm. And that, really cool. that probably fits my wiring. Yeah. I like that. I like that definition. A so lot. it's not an outward joy. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> 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 though the day the holy spirit wants to produce that i'll buy a ticket and i'll watch <laughs> i called matt today to ask him a question about the sermon he sounds like oh yeah you sound like you're a little you're a little off today i was like crap man <laughs> <laughs> oh so, no there's not yeah that's not it's not necessarily an outward thing with me at all uh unfortunately <laughs> well that's who you are yeah, that is who I am at this well, point. Well, and just because it's not an outward thing doesn't mean that it's not a part of who you are. I mean, it's still can it's still a part of who the Holy Spirit makes you. It's just some people are more annoying with it than others, in my personal opinion. I mean, <laughs> annoying. Yes, it's, it gets annoying when people are overly joyful about <laughs> things. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. As Wayne plays with a balloon next to you. (laughs) So you all know when the tree fell on my car a few years ago, I remember looking out there going, man, a tree fell on my car, but it didn't fall on the house. It's like, God's going to give me a new car. And I was so excited. I was like, that was like, that was my joy. That's probably not how I would have responded. But then guess what? I had a a Camaro rental for three weeks. 
And it did. It came through. Like, I just knew it was going to be great. And then I got a new car. <laughs> and there was joy when that tree fell on the car. Because there was my new car. There you go. Was that annoying enough? I was trying really hard. No, that was really good. Oh, man. I always feel bad for people that are named Joy, like Joy Murdoch. I think about that sometimes. Like, what a name to live up to. Like, when her parents named her, did they realize that, you know, she has to be, she she has a really tough name to live up to. But don't you think that her parents, didn't she bring joy into their lives? Yeah, but that's, I mean, but I'm just saying, it. that doesn't change that it's a big name to it's a big thing to live up to because it would create expectations just in your name i don't know anyway yeah wayne can be a little annoying with his effusiveness sometimes i'm definitely not so what does joy look like for each of us when when the spirit is producing this what like uh, Mike, I'm missing the word you used, but it's this much more internal secure. It wasn't security. It was secure. Okay, secure. Yeah, it was um, a deep thing that says there's nothing you can do that, that will take you from God, God's love, and God's eternity. And it can also be seen as there's a part of joy that's secure. Yeah. So when you're kind of feeling that, that's like a sign to you that God is activating that, that the Holy Spirit's producing that. Yeah. Um, and then there shouldn't be any shame that you don't have joy like Stephanie, because God has you having joy like you. Lord, no, man. It'd be <laughs> something else if we both had her, her joy. <laughs> Stephanie has enough joy for both of you, right? <laughs> and then some. <laughs> So what does it look like for the rest of you of what you know so far in life? Um, sometimes it's hard for me still to disconnect joy from happiness because sometimes I think of it as, even if it's not loud, but like a subtle, like pleasant feeling throughout the day, maybe. So nothing's... I think that's good though. Like, I think we've done too much work to separate the two. Yeah, like nothing really happy is happening, but like, you know, I'm waking up and I just feel okay. Like things feel good. Like, I'm, you know, you're going to school, you know, you have lots of work to do, but it feels like you can do it. It feels okay. It's, it's really close to peace to me when I think about it, but it's kind of like a little, like generally, like I can be happy. Like I can laugh easy. Nothing really happened, but yeah, you know, like I feel upbeat. Yeah. I don't know. But when you wake up in the morning, you can be joyful for the day. Well, except there's an alarm clock. It's hard to be joyful at five. So there's a grumble. And then there's like, oh, oh. But by the time I get out the door, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I'm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think sitting. But then you're just happy. You're not joyful. No, but there's a difference because to me, it's like a warm feeling that I get. Like when, when it's springtime and I sit out on my front porch and I have my coffee yeah. in the morning and I listen to the birds and stuff, or I watch Genevieve running around just happy as a clam doing basically nothing. 
to me, that's what joy is. It's warmth. It's an internal warmth. Why do we think clams are happy? I don't know. I think people eat the clams. So. I have no idea. Maybe Someone they have joy. Someone came up with that. Uh, I mean, that I know saying. the phrase. Yeah. yeah. I just, don't think clams are happy. They don't look particularly happy. They look kind of closed off to the world. <laughs> Maybe it's because they have no cares. Others Maybe they're they're cool. introverts, is what it is. They're extreme okay. introverted animals. Exactly. Until okay. they're thrown into a pot of boiling water and they delicious. pop open. Oh. Man, they are. If here it says it comes from the phrase happy as a clam at high water. Okay. That's what it and I guess that means at high tide the fishermen can't get you. So that's where oh, it's, yeah, they're under the they're sand. Under the sand. Yeah, so right. I guess Okay. Yeah, because you go clamming when the tide is out. That's the nugget everybody's going to be looking to listen for afterwards. What's the yeah. clams? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that in the description notes when I put it up. Uh, on pull, pull, <laughs> that, pull that Cassie one out and post it somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, peace. We'll keep going. Um, I, you all know I'm a little obsessed with Howard Thurman of, of late, but of late. Yeah, okay, for a long time. <laughs> but he, he wrote that hate, one of them, uh, and I mentioned this on Easter, but one of the main roots of violence makes it possible for one man to deny the existence of another or to will his non-existence. And the violent act is a desperate act. It's an imperious demand of a person to force another to honor his desire and need to be cared for, to be understood. And I say all of that because peace is the opposite, right? So peace is more than just the absence of physical violence. It's the wanting of everything to flourish. It's, it's not just wanting the other to exist, but for them to flourish. So Jennifer, it's you going down the hall, not wishing ill or non-existence on that person who was mean at the meeting, but you wanting them to actually have a good day, actually wanting them to flourish. Um, that is being peaceful. And this, this author, David De Silva, who wrote a commentary that we use for the series, said the impulses of the flesh lead to strained and broken relationships. That's that first vice list, right? But the spirit, by contrast, leads us to take the initiative in working towards healing and restoration. So the word peace may feel a bit passive, but it's actually pretty active. And I never think of peace as being active. I always think of it as a state of, again, a state of internal being. And then, like, do you have Zen inside? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think of it as an active thing, which is interesting because what you just said is all about it being active. Peace should be within, but it should leak out of us, and not just like accidentally spilling out, like a heart. <laughs> Peace is not like a fart. Sound clip number two. Sound clip number two. 
I don't even know what to do with that. That can also be classified as joy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Definitely not kind. <laughs> or self-control. I told you that's my weak one, self-control. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So what do we think of with that thinking of peace. I think of peace as um, something that's calming. So you're, it doesn't mean, it, so you could have peace in the midst of a, a crisis because you can, you could feel a sense of calm. I like that, Mike. That I like a lot. Because if you're not calm inside, how are you going to spread that peace to others anyway? So when there's turmoil and discord, if you're not already with that peace, then it's hard to spread the peace. And people look for that, right? Like we look for the person who is at peace. I think um, God uses people that are at peace. Absolutely. Uh, much more than some of us that are always in a turmoil. But I can think of times when I'm at peace where God's used me in different different situations. And I think those that are peaceful are used much more by God in certain situations. And peace is supposed to be brought into a an event or brought into a situation that's going on. Um, I mean, God really intervenes and brings that peace to it. But he uses you to do it. Yeah. And I think I once thought peace was like separate from situations. Like the, the monk on a hill away from everybody could be at peace. That's Of course it could be that. But that's not at all what's intended here. This is actually meant to be the flourishing of everybody. So we are at peace right next to people, right in the midst of the storm. We're to be at peace and we're to be aware of what the storm is. We're, we're not to just have our eyes closed. And, um, but no, like aware and informed and yet bringing and wishing for and desiring uh, flourishing. You can. Any other thoughts on peace? Yeah, the other way I think about peace is um, there about being a non-anxious, non-anxious presence. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for someone who has an anxious side to them, hoping to become a non-anxious presence is something that's very enticing to not cause not to hurt someone from flourishing but to be 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 someone who can celebrate can be in with somebody no matter what's going on and not let what's going on around them um affect them so it's not circumstance it's not circumstantial at all so i think of that as also also another aspect of peace is 
having a non-anxious presence around others. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I, I know that I've, I have no clue when I told this, but I'll, I'll tell it quick. I remember, I fished with my dad tons, right? I remember one time we were in a deep lake in Minnesota and uh, a pretty good storm came over. And in general, he got off the water for any storm because of lightning and he was really good at, he, he didn't push us ever to like tough it out. But this one storm just snuck up on us. And so we were anchored and I'm gonna make up the number cause I don't know, but it was probably at least 40 feet. So that's pretty deep. And uh, then waves came and the waves were big, not like ocean big, but they were big waves. So I remember my dad, and I'm just using landmarks, right? Like I've got a tree here and I've got like a house here and I know like, okay, this is about where we are. So my dad let like 30 or 40 more feet of line of rope into the water. And we're going all over the place and the wind is just dragging us and beating us up. And I'm like, dad, we're like, the anchor's not holding. And he was like, no, the anchor's fine. It's it's fine, Matt. This is what we need to do. And he was calm as could be. Um, no, it might've been his eighth beer. I don't know. But I mean, he was so calm. And I, we're nowhere near that tree, nowhere near that house anymore. We're, I feel like we're getting blown. We're going to capsize. And uh, the storm was long, like maybe an hour, pretty scary. And uh, I remember after being like, hey, what, what were you doing? Like, kind of thinking I was correcting him. And he's like, Matt, if, if we didn't let out more rope, we would have capsized. It would have it pulled us uh-huh. and the boat would have gone over. We let the extra 30 or 40 feet go because I knew the anchor was holding. It's because I knew that it held that I'm not worried about being away from the anchor. And I'm not worried about what the storm's going to do because that anchor's good. And I remember him even saying, like, the water down there didn't change. Like, it's calm. And because the where the anchor was set was calm, he was calm. And um, I was pretty young, but that kind of stuck. Like, oh, there's something to that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a kind of a portrait of peace a little bit, at least a snapshot of it. Absolutely. It's like that piece that surpasses all understanding, mm-hmm. you know, even if it doesn't make sense, having peace. And when the Holy Spirit's put that on somebody, at least for me, I really notice that person. Like that person who's in circumstances who should make them go nutty and they're not delusional, but they're peaceful. That really stands out because I'm quick to be anxious. Any other thought on on that one? Okay, how about patience? What what do y'all think of with patience? This is my strong suit. Oh. Not. (laughs) I have none. This is is probably our strongest, yeah. Yeah, neither of us have any patience. It's a major issue. (laughs) And ironically, you're caring for two children each day. 
Yeah. <laughs> that helps. It helps because I don't have any expectation. I think patience has to do with expectations. Like having patience has to do with your expectations of circumstances, other people, yourself. Um, yeah, maybe more than some of these other Um, I think I'm patient at certain times, but probably when I'm sleeping, I'm pretty patient. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think about it in terms of like, um, I mean, Catherine and I are like a lot alike this way. If, if I think well, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to, um, I'll just throw something out there, to get a new car. That wouldn't be a bad idea. This actually happened two years ago. Um, and um, once I, that idea is in my head, then I have to do it. Like then, like that minute. Like start researching, make a decision, Within 72 hours. You know, go out and test drive, go out. I just, I'm trying to get better at um, not being impulsive. Because to me, impulsive is the opposite of patience. But ironically, I have a lot of patience when it comes to Genevieve and Oliver. But I think it's because I have no expectations of them. Different types of patience. Yeah. I mean, patience is definitely tied to time, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. More than these other ones. It's, I mean, other words for it are enduring, long suffering, steadfast, a slow. The Greek for patience also means slow to take offense or slow to grab for vengeance. Um, so that's a lot of different, a lot, that's a huge. Um, spectrum of meaning. Yes. Because slow to take offense and patience to me are very different. Yeah. So, I mean, the Greek word that Paul's using here is equivalent to slow to take offense. Right. But it's also enduring and long-suffering. Um, long and I think it's important, we read this verse a lot, but I think like we are to match God's patience. So Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Like that patience that we find in God is the patience that the Holy Spirit's going to produce in us. And I think circumstances creates more patience in some people than others. Sorry. Yeah, I've had to grow in. Oh, go ahead, Wayne. Yeah. It's where they're at in life. I mean, <laughs> 
yeah, I can think of some, some situations where, you know, uh, one family wanted a particular type of boat, but they couldn't afford it. So they would they prayed for it for a number of years, but they were very patient with the fact. And then God provided one in a very strange way, but because of their patience, I think he rewarded it. And they got this boat. Fairly inexpensively, but I think it was through. I don't know if I could be that patient waiting five, six years to, and pray about this thing's going to come and uh, have the patience in that. We're, we're taught to be so instant, satisfying, whatever the situation is. Um, that patience isn't really taught by society very much at all. They're trying to get everything sped up, get, you know, speeding up your 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 language, your talk, your 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 actions, your work, whatever you're doing. You know, I know mm -hmm. that both the East Coast and West Coast are faster than the Midwest or Kentucky. <laughs> Yeah. Patience. Tough. I also think there's something to patience on, like, if we're assured of what we're waiting for, we're less likely to grasp for it. Um, so, like, if you think of your favorite restaurant, particularly if it's not in in Louisville and you know that you're going to go there, you're going to drive, or you're going to fly there and it's going to be a couple months away. And then you're going to have to sit and wait for your meal. All of that is actually part of the enjoying because you know, it's, it's good. And um, you trust you're going to have that meal, but if you don't know, you're going to have some, if you don't, if I don't know, I'm going to get a boat, but I have a small window to get a boat. Right. I might just grab for that boat. Cause I don't know if I'll ever have one again. Um, but you do you hear stories all the time of, you know, families and people who have been very patient and, and God seems to reward that patience in some some way. But that's not the point. We're not trying to get rewarded. I don't think you're trying to get rewarded in any of these spirits of the fruit. No. But you do it if God puts it in you. Let me push back on that a little bit then. Does that mean that if God's, if God's not going to do something or we're not going to see something later on, then that patience is not really something that the Holy Spirit will do with us because I kind of, I understand the examples, but I also kind of think if patience also is tied to slow to take offense and vengeance and it's got synonyms such as long suffering, enduring, then I kind of think of, of patience as being something that um, isn't tied to I don't know, 
something tangible at the end. Absolutely, I agree with you. No, I'd agree with you. My, and if I'm if I messed it up with that food analogy, that was just trying to say like if I'm confident that God is good, but I'm suffering today, but I know that He's good. I I can be a little more patient in the suffering. Right. Right. And then I don't think there has to be a reward for you being patient. Yeah. But that's what he's saying. Well, that was an example I used. I think maybe a good way to think about, for me to think about patience is in the other words, like enduring and long suffering. And those are things that, like Wayne said, we don't do well in this country with. No. And, and so, um, you know, I think about, I think about people, or I'll think about uh, people, people of color who are on the margins right now, or are marginalized because of their, the way they've been treated, and the patience they've had to endure and not lose faith in what God can and will do. That, to me, is a is is an example of patience of patience that comes from the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I would have to completely agree with you as well, because when you study about the church, the black church during slavery, during the times of slavery, you know, it was they actually had it was like the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They never doubted that God would deliver them, but look at what they went through. And, um, and we've never experienced that. You know, we, we don't, I've never been in a situation where I have to have true patience, you know, where I have to experience a lifetime of being patient, you know? And I remember having a conversation with Don and Bridget um, in one of our, I think it was in one of our Bible study sessions. I'm not sure Jennifer or not, but it was last summer when we were meeting on zoom and I, or maybe it was, I just remember asking them if they thought that there would be change, real change for black people in their lifetime. And they both said no. And I was, first I was really surprised by that. And then secondly, I was really saddened by that. And so that to me is real patience to, to stay the course, to keep going, to know that even though you're doing all these things, it's not, you're not likely to see change. Yeah. I mean, patience, I guess, is in the face of discouragement. Are you still trusting God to, to keep his covenant and um, fulfill his promises. I guess that's real patience. That's a really good example, Mike. I really like that. I just always think of school and the patience. So whenever I think of patience, I think of children. I think of parenting. I think of teaching and how many, and that's, that's just where I always connect because that's where I live. But um, right. you say it 50 times and if I get angry, then my anger will be remembered and it's hurtful. And it's not in the image of God to be anger, angry. So even though I am 
so it's always kind of keeping that patience because otherwise, um, yeah, you sin and you sin against children, you know, in your impatience. So I, right. that's all those other ways of patience. I never even think of those ways because I think I'm so embedded in this other patience. But True. I like all those other patiences too. Well, I can relate to that level of patience as well. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. It's like you have little ones, and the only person, they don't know better, or they do know better, but even if they do, you you know how it is when teachers get angry. I'm sure you've seen it, Mike. It's it's like, okay, um, you, you have to be slow to anger. You have to be slow to be offended by the actions of our school children and our real children. Or, or their parents. Yeah, or you end up hurting somebody. It's just when you, you sin against them and cause pain, even if they make you to be very patient. Well, and even if you don't, even if that's not your intention, I think, you know, yeah. So let, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the clock, just trying to be kind to everybody um let's look, let's look at kindness here uh, <laughs> nt wright said that kindness is the art of being enduring to people uh, kindness inspires love and affection but it's not simply nice and kindness is not lacking conviction it's a deep disposition that, that you are to treat others well and recognize their dignity. That's what kindness is, um, is that deep disposition. Any else you guys can think of or any of that stand out? No, I think that's really a great descriptive. It's really powerful. Kindness is something that you can outwardly show every day, I think. It's something and it's that, not cheesy. No. It's, it's, it's pretty powerful, like you said. You can really do every day. You know, I, it's one of those things that I try really hard to be no, to be mindful of is, am I being kind um, in my behavior? Not always, but I try to be mindful of it. Except when I'm driving. <laughs> And that's not my fault. It's all the other people's fault. <laughs> Any other less intimidating thoughts on kindness? It's not one of my strengths. No. Well, it doesn't have to be. It's about the Holy Spirit. I realize that, but 
Holy Spirit really has to do a work on me to be kind. So when I, when I would disagree with you, um, just simple. So kindness is very much seeing people too, right? Right. And you may never be nice, but nice isn't kind anyway. Nice is very blind. Yes. Um, but I, I would say, Wayne, there's been many days where you've been very kind to me. And maybe I'm the only one who gets it. But where you've really seen me and, and been kind and been, it's another word, but gentle. And um, maybe, I like, know. maybe I don't know I have that quality naturally. Well, I don't, I don't know that you do. I think the Holy Spirit produces it. But I also would say, I don't think it comes out in the way we traditionally call kind. I think about, I think about all the people you knew down at, at, at twelve twelve, and the fact that they knew you and right. you made them feel important. That's kindness. Yeah. Okay. And I see, right. I, I would disagree with you, Wayne. I think that's something that you do a lot. You may not be a nice person in the sense that you're not going to say the nice thing. Maybe that's what you're thinking, but you're very much a kind person. And I don't know you when you were 15. Maybe you weren't kind then, but the Holy Spirit in you has produced kindness, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's, real, that's a really good descriptor because I think a lot of it is that what you see as kindness is not what you it's different than the way like mike said you know you really care about those people and so you that's showing kindness is really caring about people yeah i have a much easier time being kind to strangers mm. um showing kindness to people i don't know um but I think kindness is something that the Holy, like I said, the Holy Spirit can, can manifest outwardly and people can sense and feel. Yeah, I agree. I also think if we're not kind to ourselves, it's very hard to be kind to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's keep going. Generosity is also often listed as goodness. It's where we reflect the goodness of God. Um, <clears throat> and this generosity, I think it's helpful to think of it as expansive. It's, it's like those in your life that run across you have plenty of space. You make room for them. You make, uh, it's like scarcity doesn't belong whether that be resources or grace or joy, you know, when they're around you, there's just enough of that and there's space for them to air and space for, for the people around to explore, to learn, to be cared for. It definitely has to do with money and time and those kind of things, but it's, it's also much more than that. 
you know, you know what is coming, what I'm re recognizing here a little bit is although these are all given by the Holy Spirit, the ones that are easier, I think, are attached to your spiritual gifts in some ways. Yeah. The ones that the ones that I'm recognizing I feel more connected to are things that are reflected in, through the spiritual gifts that God has given me. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that as a connection until um, till just now because you know generosity or goodness but you know one of my spiritual gifts is hospitality and administration and things like that and where for me it's really easy to open my home and and help people prepare or prepare meals for people or things like that for other people that's much more difficult that that concept of being generous with your time as well as with your space as well as with your finances is is harder whereas for me it's a very that one is really easy because that's connected to the thing that god wired me for and, and Fortunately or unfortunately, that's one of my spirits gives too, the generosity. So, you know, I never look, I never look at what I'm missing or what I don't have. If I see a need for something, I feel that uh, if I have the power to, to fill it, then we should, I should fill it. I should take care of that. Should be generous with that. You know, I, I'm always reminded of the lady with her two little coppers that she gave everything. And, you know. It's not just financial. I know it's not just financial, but that's one of the things that always reminds me of, you know, God's going to provide. He provides for the birds and the deer and everything else and every day. I don't know why he wouldn't provide for, for me. But mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we can be watching for is like, how are we allowing people space to grow in this? Everybody. Like, how, how do we allow Miss Alice to grow in generosity? Doesn't mean just money. And I'm, she brought meat one, one Wednesday. Right. You know, she, right. she brought meat down to share. That was an extremely generous act. Um, like, how, it, it takes some imagination. Some of this to do in community takes imagination and creativity and attentiveness to recognize where the Holy Spirit's producing this in each other and, um, and to really validate that. That even if it looks different than someone else, that doesn't mean it's, that's just what the Spirit produces. And that's beautiful. Well, and sometimes also, I think it is being able to take a step back. So to say, okay, I'm not gonna be the first one to volunteer to do this. I'm gonna give somebody else that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes that is necessary as well, is to be generous in letting other people um, fill the gap. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. 
Okay, this next one is faithfulness. And I think people think it is faith, mm-hmm. but it's not. It is faithfulness. Faithfulness is almost boring. Faithfulness is unswerving. It's predictable. It's reliable. Faithfulness produced in you is a loyalty, a consistency to God, to people. This faithfulness the Holy Spirit produces, somebody knows what they're going to get from you. Does that make some sense? Yes. It's interesting because it's one of the ones that's exactly the same word in all these different versions I yeah. have on here. Mm-hmm. So faith is obviously a key aspect, but that's different than what Paul's writing about here. Right. It's doing what you say you're going to do. Right. Being reliable. Mm-hmm. So then the next, we're, we're, I'm just going to kind of give us a quick overview of the next couple, and then we'll talk about all three, okay? Okay. Um, so gentleness is not weak. It's power that doesn't need to be flexed. Mm-hmm. It's accepting of others while seeing differences and shortcomings. It is strong enough to provide safety. De Silva again says that gentleness, gentleness speaks to proper restraint of anger and power out of consideration for the other person. The picture I have for gentleness is actually a lot of you at church when you see Anna come flying at you and you're strong enough to handle her, yeah. <laughs> but you never harm her. It, sadly, you have to protect yourself, but <laughs> you, you'll catch her. She feels safe going to you but you're definitely stronger than her, you know, at least for another week. Yeah. But I think we equate gentleness with weak and, and that's a dangerous uh, mistake there. Yeah. I would have to agree with you that that's, that's a cultural thing as much as anything. Seeing gentleness as a, um, either a womanly trait or something that is, synonymous with weakness yeah so then self-control would be listed first by any of paul's contemporaries so in a greco-roman virtue list self-control comes first (laughs) and it's thought that he's intentionally putting it last as a like response to them representing the other centered love is what we're to live in. And our self-control is actually to be for somebody else, for the benefit of someone else. But when I think of self-control, to me, it really comes to this idea of, are you worthy? And if we believe we're worthless, we will often live accordingly. And if we, believe we're beloved, we will often live accordingly. Mm-hmm. And if we believe it, it's a little bit like my old gray van that I had that I just treated like garbage because I thought it was garbage. 
And then now I have a car that I don't want a piece of garbage to be in because I think it's fantastic. Uh, we treat things accordingly, including ourselves. Are we valuable or are we disposable? And, and that value, it doesn't have to be found within us. That's the value that the Holy Spirit produces within us. And again, self-control, we don't just grit our teeth and become it. This is something the Holy Spirit produces. I went through those three super fast, including your least favorite, Jennifer. So maybe that was nice or not nice. Um, <laughs> But what, what responses do we have to those? I think you can teach yourself self-control. Oh, absolutely. We should work on all of these, but we are the passive one again. Right. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who really produces it. Yeah, I don't mean we just like pray and leave it alone. We, we want to grow in this. We, we want to live this life, mm -hmm. but we can't grunt our way there. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on these that you'll have? Okay, so the, the closing thought I have, and then we can talk about it all, is this is not a foreign thing. These are nine kind of weird descriptors. It's not a foreign thing that we're talking about. You are an image bearer. And the Holy Spirit is producing within you the very image that you're to represent. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one that we're in the image of. So it's like the Holy Spirit is producing who you have always been meant to be. And these are descriptors of what that looks like. Again, it's going to take different forms and different one of us. And that's great. But this isn't a foreign thing. We're not asking a dog to become a cat in the Holy Spirit. We're asking you to become more you. And, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. That makes sense. And I think for me, that takes some of the pressure off too. Like, oh, okay. So I, I'm not going to become this completely other person. I'm going to become more joyful in the way that Matt chose joy. I'm going to become more patient. But I'm meant to be that anyway. Right. It's still going to look like you, only it's going to be an enhanced version because of the Holy Spirit doing the work. Exactly. And it, it will fit me right because it's who I'm meant to be anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you start, if your version of it looked like me, then it would be confusing for people. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be Matt anymore. Right. And if I evaluate me compared to you, right, that's dangerous. That's going to make me feel shame and things I don't need to feel. But if I see the spirit produced in you or the fruit of the spirit produced in you, that can inspire me to 
uh, orient myself towards God even more. So God will do the same in me. I think that's very powerful because I think that sometimes we think that we have to be a certain way in these mm -hmm. fruits of the, in these fruit of the spirit definitions instead of enhancing what it looks like as we are, as we were made. So what are the other thoughts are y'all having? Jennifer, you're smiling about something. I was thinking about Theo, the dog. <laughs> this, this is her cat right here. When she comes to Bible study, it takes me about four days to get the dog back into normal practice. because she. I, I love Theo. We love each other. So I'm just... A, she was just wishing she was here to see this face. I know. I was like, Theo, I missed you so much. It spoils and rotten. So I'm sorry. I just, that's what I was thinking about with Theo. That's great. It's okay. As soon as she comes in the room, he's right there alongside. It's because he knows I love him. He can tell. Yeah. I'll babysit anytime. Okay. We'll drop him off tomorrow. Okay. I'll be at school, but I can do a couple hours in the evening. Okay. Don't worry about it. He's good. Um, I was thinking about what you said, Matt, and how, you know, the comparing, and it, it's really true. I was making connections there. So um, I have a friend, um, Sasha. She's, I can never match her patience or my mother's patience. They're like on the same level of patience and they just make it look so easy and peaceful and calm in every situation. Like, and so I don't really try to, I just know that I'm, but yeah, you sometimes you do recognize, but I do recognize her fruits of her spirit and how it looks in her very natural and easy. And I, I might be weird, but sometimes it is helpful for me to go to that person and be like, hey, you inspire me to be more patient. And just say it aloud, because then I don't feel shame over it, and I've I've encouraged that other person, and then like, okay, now I can go look for opportunities to be patient, but I don't need to be Sasha or your mom. She would be like, oh yeah, thanks. That's what she'd say. That'd be great. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay. Well, we kind of sped through it, but um, yeah, we, we closed up the book of Galatians. So good job, everyone. <laughs>